0: Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of the whole empire. This was the first census to be taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from Nazareth in Galilee to Judah, the city of David, called Bethlehem since he was from the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to him in marriage and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her child to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lay him in a manger because there were no rooms for them in the inn. That was also my life. Thanks Leo, that was amazing That makes you feel good when you come up to preach And Leo has done the reading You've got the job bro Merry Christmas everyone It's so great to be together Thank you, Merry Christmas So it's it's a treat to be here, and it's a treat to be speaking to you briefly, and it's really cool to have everyone, kids included. Um, last night, we were uh, about to uh, go to sleep. The kids were in their beds. Lights were out. It was quiet. We had said our prayers. We had said good night, and I was still sitting in the room about to walk out when suddenly... Crash! It was the most unbelievable crash and bang. I saw the curtain move and then suddenly the lamp falls over, the bottle of water falls over, everything's lying on the floor and the two girls, Chloe and Josie, they sit up and we're going, what just happened? And I didn't know what had happened to be honest with you. I was like feeling the same. My heart was beating. What had just happened? The curtain bulged and Anna looks at me and she says, dad, I thought Santa was coming through the window there. (laughs) The Southeaster had done its thing again, but uh, we all thought maybe Santa was just a little bit early that day. And um, anyway, it wasn't Santa, but we did find some uh, evidence this morning that maybe he did pitch up a little later. But um, I hope you are having a thrilling and exciting uh, holiday. If you are on holiday, if it's soon to begin, I want to talk to us briefly about what do these three things have in common? This, and this, and this. What is Who normally sits on one of these and wears one of these? It is a very floppy one. Yes, a king. You're right. Kings normally have stronger crowns, right? But I want to talk today about a king exactly like that. Except I want to talk not about one king. I want to talk about two kings because... In the story that Leo just reminded us of, there are actually two kings that are being spoken about. In fact, the writer who writes this book called Luke is intentionally trying to help us to realize that he's not writing about one king. He's trying to help us see that in the time there were actually two kings, two very different types of kings. And this king, I want to explain to you these two kings through these three different pictures a sword, which I will show you just now, a a crown, and a throne. There is a lot of excitement about this sword. It gets more exciting when it comes out of its sheath. But did you see in that reading, if we could show the first uh, verse, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. The writer is trying to say, Luke is trying to say, do you know what? There was a world into which Jesus was born where people didn't think that Jesus was king. In fact, they all thought that there was a totally different king named Caesar Augustus. And you're going to pick up so much of the language of this amazing passage of Scripture where it is almost like it's taken from the language of Rome and it begins to be applied to this new king that is coming. This new king that's coming. So firstly, let's look at this crown. Do you think this would fit me, guys? Oh, it does. How do I look? Not good. Okay, I'll take your advice. Thank you for the fashion advice in the fifth row over there. The crown symbolized glory and honor. A crown symbolized that a a king was the one who deserved to receive the glory, who deserved the honor. It was him who was in charge. And if a king was wearing a crown, you knew there was no one in the land who was more powerful than him. And that's why Caesar Augustus, the leader of the Roman Empire of the time, had a very fancy crown. It probably looked a lot like that one. And so it's important to understand that as Jesus is born into the world, there's another king who sees himself to be not just the king over the the people of Israel. He thought he was the king over the whole known world. That's how he understood himself. He was so powerful, in fact, that he could convince every single person in the land that he wanted to count how many people lived in his empire. So he said, you go back to where you were born, and I want to count you. So even if you were eight and a half months pregnant with a really large belly, with a baby inside of it, you would have to do what the king said and get on a donkey if you had a donkey, and you would have to walk as far as it took you. Mary's journey was about as far as from here to Robertson. Wow. Anybody driven to Robertson lately? Maybe. Anybody walked to Robertson lately or been on a donkey there? Definitely not. That is a long way. But this king was so powerful that he could send the people all over his kingdom and get them to do whatever he wanted because he had the crown. He was the one who was in charge. Now Jesus is born into this kingdom. And we get this language that, in fact, there is a new king who's coming. But he comes in such a different way. It's, it's fascinating. I think of in verse 8, it says this, it carries on. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The right kind of fear, like wow fear. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. Think about this for a moment. And, 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 and look at what these shepherds have just said when they announce the birth of Jesus. I, I hope you can see this, that these guys are using kingly language. They're trying to wake people up. You see, Caesar Augustus thought he was the king. And suddenly into this world, there is a voice of these angels who are going, there's someone else who's arrived. 27 years before Jesus is born, there's this guy named Diodorus. And uh, he said this, it's, he wrote this down and said, the boundaries of the empire equal the boundaries of the earth. Can you imagine how good Caesar Augustus would have felt with his crown on, sitting on his throne, and somebody says, The boundaries of your empire are as big as the earth. And into that world comes this little baby Jesus. And into that world, this Caesar Augustus, he would tax people to, to have the money to be able to do things like build big fancy stadia and build big roads. He had all sorts of money to do all sorts of things. And you know what? The other king is born into a manger. He's born into this little, tiny little space that's usually used for animals. How different he was. I think of Philippians 2, which says this, Jesus, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You see where earthly kings quickly pick up their crowns and put it on and say, Look at me, this heavenly king comes and he says, I'll enter in into a humble space. I'll show the world that I don't look for the kind of glory that kings look for. I will become a servant. Okay, now the part you've been waiting for. Not only is the crown important, but but what is this? This, my friends, is a real sword. could shave with this. The sword in any royal empire meant salvation it meant power. If a king had been successful with the sword, it meant that he was the one who had brought salvation. He had brought freedom to the people because he had subdued other nations. He had caused a sense of flourishing because he had wielded the sword. He had used his power to bring freedom and to bring a kind of salvation to the people. Now, Caesar thought he was Lord. Do you know the most common thing that a Roman person would say in that day? They would say this, Caesar is Lord. That was a common saying. You would arrive into a big stadium or you'd arrive into a small group of people and they would go, who is Lord? And everyone would go, Caesar is Lord. That was the common statement of the day. Uh, I think of this uh, when the pre calendar in 9 BC, nine years before Jesus is born. This is what it says about Augustus. You can read with me. Augustus, whom providence, providence is God in a way, their version of God, has filled with virtue for the benefit of humanity and who has in her beneficence granted us and those who will come after us a savior. Who has made war to cease and who shall put everything in peaceful order. With the result of that, birth, of, the, of that, the birthday of our God, signaled the beginning of good news for the world because of him. Now listen carefully. This is not being written about Jesus. This is being written about Caesar Augustus. Just think about it. Does, does that look a little bit familiar? Some of that language? Good news, God, do you know that they thought of, of Caesar Augustus as a kind of God? He was the one who had saved the world, and many emperors in that time were seen to be as a kind of God, but so different to them was Jesus. Now, let's compare the language just for a moment. Look at it. You see, the top one is Luke chapter 10, and the bottom one is this pre calendar. Notice how it speaks about, in the red, all the people. There would be a benefit to humanity. There would be a Savior, the same word in yellow, that there would be a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. There would be a birthday, that God would be birthed into the world. And in the green, that there would be good news for the world. Here's the thing. When the angels come to those shepherds and they say that good news of a Savior has come, they have come and they have taken this language, this stuff that was spoken about Caesar Augustus, and they say, you've got some news, Caesar Augustus. You think you're powerful. There is another savior who's coming. He is completely and utterly different to Caesar Augustus or any king that has come and any king that will come. He will not throw this around. He will not save with the sword. In fact, he's going to put it back in a sheath. He's going to button it up. And he is going to do a whole new version of salvation. He is going to love by giving up his life. He's going to be the one who shows love by showing that actually it's better to lay down your life. Philippians 2 verse 8 says it like this. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This was not a king who came wielding a sword. This was a king who came putting down his sword. In fact, it was at his death that a sword went into his side and he died for the good of humanity. His salvation for humanity was so different than other kings would have expected. 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says, by his wounds, we have been healed. He didn't use the sword. He received the sword so that he could save us. Wow. Wow. And then thirdly, what is this? It's a a, a throne. It's a throne. Thank you. Brilliant. It's a throne. Do you know what a throne symbolized? It symbolized the lasting rule of a king. A king wanted to rule for as long as he could. Sitting on this throne meant that he was the king and that he could rule for a long time. And as long as he was on the throne meant that he was in charge. Do you know, no king has been able to sit on the throne forever. It just hasn't been possible. One of the saddest things to do is to go study how much effort kings and queens have put into their tombs to make it feel like they would last forever. In fact, the Roman uh, kings did some of the best efforts because they tried to get themselves into the calendar. When they had a birthday, Julius Caesar had a birthday, and what month was he named after? Julius Caesar, July, correct. Augustus Caesar, what month is he named after? August, amazing. These guys tried their best to put themselves into history forever so that they would never be forgotten, so that they would have a throne that would last forever. But even the Roman Empire never lasted forever. It came and it went And the same with the Greek empire and the same with every other empire, whether it's Babylon or whether it's Western uh, uh, kind of domination. All empires come and empires go. Verse 15 of Luke says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told them concerning this child and all who wondered who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen you see when Jesus was born he didn't demand a throne In fact, when Caesar Augustus was born, there would have been guards and palace officials all over, making sure that this baby boy was kept safe. And yet God, in His amazing humility, gets born into this tiny little obsolete part of the Middle East that very few people knew even existed. And into that space, He doesn't demand a throne, because He knows that a throne is coming that is going to come through His sacrifice, and that one day He would sit on His throne. And, and something happened at around about the age of 30 where Jesus, who had lived this amazing life, suddenly switched on his heavenly authority. And out of the waters of baptism, Jesus walks into the world and he does what only the king of heaven and earth could truly do. It's into this world that Jesus begins to heal human bodies. He, he causes broken uh, and, and shriveled hands to, to, to grow back. He causes nature to listen to him. He has the power to turn water into wine. He takes crying and mourning and he turns it into feasting and laughter. He's the only one who understands the human heart and he turns it into a space of life and joy. He reveals that he is, in fact, heaven and earth's true king. H.G. Wells said, I am an historian. I'm not even a believer, but I must confess that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. How could that penniless preacher from Nazareth have become so powerful? Unless he, in fact, was the very Son of God who did what no one else could do in living the life that we all wish we could have lived in perfect harmony with God and with others, who lived in incredible love the way we wish we could have lived, who, who, who was without sin, and yet was the only one who went to a death that probably was more deserving of our rebellion. And yet he dies that death, and in that death is the one time he gets given one of these, except it's made out of thorns. And it's put on him, and he's mocked to his death. But in that moment, this powerful act of love was the beginning of the end. It was in that moment that he was defeating sin and darkness and Satan and death, and he was bringing life to all mankind. The very life that he displayed in his ministry becomes available to humanity when three days later he rises from the dead, and he shows that he is heaven and earth's true king, and that the kingdom of God is being unleashed onto humanity. And that it's up to us to say, yes, I want in. To, to turn away from trying to be the king of our own lives. To try to be the ones who rule and reign over our own lives. And to say, you know what? I'm done fighting for myself. I'm going to put down my own swords and I'm going to let the King Jesus fight for me. I'm, I'm done trying to get glory for myself and, and trying to keep all the crowns for myself. I'm going to put them down. And I'm going to live for His glory. I'm going to learn to show Him off to the world, not show myself off. I'm going to step off of the throne of my own life, and I'm going to let Him be on the throne of my life. And I'm going to let Him reign forevermore because I am not as good as Him. And actually taking charge of my own life, contrary to popular culture, actually doesn't work that well. It's a bit of a letdown. And actually, there's only one who truly should be allowed to rule over my life, and it's King Jesus. April 2003 was when I found myself doing these very things. I had lived close to the King. I had grown up in a family that believed that King Jesus was truly the heaven and earth true King, but to be honest, the crowns were mine to hold on to. I was living for self. I was living to fight my own battles and to be the master of my own destiny and to live on the crown of the throne of my own life until I realized with the help of the Holy Spirit that it just wasn't what it was made out to be. Being the hero, being the strongest, chasing pleasure, being my own master was not what I was designed for. And it was in that moment in my little tent in Pringle Bay where I bowed the knee of my heart and said, you know what, this isn't working. I actually need a new master. And the message of the gospel came flooding into my mind and my heart and I said, I need that. And so many people across this room have done that. Here's the story is that we continue to do that. It's a lot of our life is that we continue to bow the knee. We continue to say, you know what? I keep taking the reins back. I keep trying to put this thing back on. I keep trying to fight my own battles and I keep needing to put it down. And each morning I wake up, I do my best to put my swords down and to pick up the love and the life of Jesus and to trust him. For some of us today, it's to do this for the first time, to step off the throne of our own hearts and to step off of of fighting our own battles and to take the crowns off and to bow the knee and say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. It's actually very simple. All he said was, just change your mind and start to trust me with your whole life, and I will do more than you could imagine. So simply trust me. That's all he's asking. Trust. Put your trust in him. Receive his love. Receive his forgiveness, and he will do more than you could imagine. So today, do that. I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to say yes. Philippians 2 verse 8, I'll land with this. says this, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Can I ask the band to come up, and I want to ask you a question. How do you respond this Christmas? Do you respond by sitting on the throne and saying, I am in charge? Or do you step off the throne and take the crown off and say, You take charge. I'd say there couldn't be a better thing to do this Christmas than to stop serving self and to let Jesus serve you with his love. To let Jesus give you his royal love. Because when you step into his throne room, he gives you more than you could imagine. He gives a fresh identity, one we don't need to achieve and fight for and prove. He gives you an identity that you receive. child beloved, cared for. Your future is cared for. Your past is dealt with. And the present is a space of contentment. It's a case of saying yes. We're going to stand. not saying that everyone who stands is symbolizing stepping off the throne. But I do want to ask you that as you step off or get off your chair, that it would somehow symbolize you stepping off the throne of your own life. Being in charge of your own life and saying actually this Christmas... I stand up and I let Jesus sit on the throne. I let him wear the crown and I let him fight my battle and be my savior. And this Christmas I celebrate that there's nothing I can do to save myself. It's by his grace. There is no earning this. It is by grace the scriptures say we are saved. Today let's savor that grace like we're going to enjoy love and friendship from family, times that by a billion is what you get in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So Jesus, as we sing today, as we step off of these, or we stand up off these chairs, we thank you that there is no one more worthy to sit sit on the throne of our lives than you. This Christmas, we celebrate that you came into the world unlike any other king, gentle and lowly, humble, and yet all-powerful. Today we thank you. We honor you as the King. Let's stand. Let's sing.